You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Friday, the 13th of November, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by our co-founder and CEO, Rao Powell. But first, with today's stories, Jack Farley. Thanks, Ash. U.S. equities rebounded today with the Dow leading the way. Credit markets continue to show little signs of stress with spreads remaining calm. Interestingly, the U.S. Treasury bond market today barely moved, with no tenors moving more than two basis points. It's almost like the entire yield curve was frozen in time. Meanwhile, oil sold off as gold inched higher. The Baker Hughes U.S. crude oil rig count came out today at 312, adding 12 new rigs over the past week. In the derivatives markets, the VIX floated lower around all tenors, but implied volatility remained elevated when measured on a historical basis, suggesting that we could be in a new, quote, high vol regime. But back to stocks. Within the S&P, it's industrials and financials leading the way. And with tech being the laggard, today is another day of extreme value rotation. If not in magnitude, then in orientation. Just look at the stocks leading the S&P now. It's MGN Resorts, a casino, Valero Energy, as well as Carnival Cruises. You see, the cruises are really interesting, as this past weekend, the first cruise ship set sail since the coronavirus. Good news, right? Well, not so fast as a passenger tested positive for COVID-19, as we found out on Wednesday. Yet the stock for Carnival Cruises was up 7% today. And Carnival's bonds are priced richly, with most of them trading well above par. There was an insightful report from Bloomberg Intelligence casting doubt on the liquidity of the cruise liners. The three big players, Royal Caribbean, Carnival, and Norwegian, have about $75 billion worth of cruise ships to their name. But almost all of these assets are encumbered, according to the report, meaning that collateralizing them to get cash from lenders could be quite a challenge. But on the good news, Carnival Cruises did raise $1.5 billion in equity, or at least announce that it's going to. That should be bad for the stock because the shareholders get diluted. But when you know, a stock is basically a binary option of whether you're going to survive COVID, you'll take all the dilution we can get, right? I actually had a finance professor who said, uh, good companies raise debt, bad companies raise equity. Think about it. In other news, the bulk of the Fed's special lending programs are set to expire at the end of the year. In fact, all but one of the central bank's emergency programs introduced in the spring to stabilize markets have a termination date of December 31st, 2020. So that includes the Money Market Fund Liquidity Facility, the Main Street Lending Program, the Term Asset Backed Securities Loan Facility, and of course, by far the biggest one, the Paycheck Protection Program Liquidity Facility. Only the commercial paper funding facility has a longer termination date of March 17th, 2021. And lastly, in COVID news, COVID today has officially reached the 1 million case mark, a grim benchmark. Today in New York City, the 10 p.m. curfew for bars and restaurants is now in place. The average positivity rate in the city has climbed from 2.68% to 2.83%. Mayor Bill de Blasio has warned parents that schools might close on Monday. Have a good weekend, but please stay safe. It's getting real out there. Back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Raul, welcome back. Happy Friday. Yeah, it's finally stopped raining here. But that, I mean, we had an unbelievable tropical storm that was a direct hit. And on Monday, we had tarpon, which are big fish. Yeah. swimming in the streets here really yeah because we've got this pond that's inland that is brackish and we don't know how long ago 50 years ago or something there was a hurricane that put a bunch of tarpon in there they don't live inland but they live inland here tarpon lake and then it rained it flooded the pond flooded and the tarpon were swimming for freedom they were all across the road there was maybe a hundred tarpon as i was driving to the store it's ridiculous anyway it's now sunny. Sorry? They're big, scary-looking fish. Yeah, and you can't eat them either. They're really bony. And they're, they're like prehistoric fish as well. They're like made of iron or something. You know, you can't do anything with them. They're good to catch because they leap out of the water. But, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, it's finally stopped raining, so I'm quite happy. And best sunrise photo I've seen you post in a long time. <laughs> yeah, because I could see the sun again. I mean, this has been a rare occurrence. We've had six weeks of bloody tropical storms. Yeah. So, Raul, now that we've had happy stories about the weather and fish, uh, time to get to the more serious matter. We've been chatting here for the last uh, couple of hours about all the things that are happening in markets. What's top of mind for you right now, Rao? Look, I have been, every time I come on the daily briefing, I said the same thing, and I've walked everybody incrementally from six weeks or eight weeks ago. I said, watch Europe. Look what's happening to the virus. Um, look what's going on. This is going to be an economic slowdown. The virus has got out of control again, and everyone's like, oh, forget about it. He's talking nonsense. Don't worry about it. Look, the market's up, going up. And I've been saying, no, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. Cut to France locking down, everything happening, and it's only going to get worse. Now, what has happened is we've seen, I think there's a, a graph we can show of the rate of change of the virus in Europe. It's absolutely exploded. The death rate is now exploding as well. Yes, deaths to number of cases is lower, but the death rate is going to go to all-time highs. There's a lot of trouble coming. The economies are now shutting down. The winter's not helping. It's only going to make things worse. The UK is a mess. They're basically in lockdown too. And economic growth across Europe is falling very sharply, and it's only going to get worse. I'm not sure they're going to even rescue Christmas. So think of the shopping and all of the things that we're used to over the Christmas period, gone. Yeah. Yes, there'll be Amazon shopping and blah, 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 but families aren't getting together. It just ain't going to happen. So we've got a very nasty period between now and fiscal stimulus coming anywhere. And you know the real-time economic data is falling sharply. It's going to continue to fall. There's nothing's going to get in the way. And this is going to create, even though we never got out of a recession, but people's minds, they thought we did because the stock market went higher. We're going to go into a, a more serious double dip, which is also spreading to the US. Yeah. So the US, the virus numbers are now exploding. Um, 153,000 yesterday. That number is not going to change. The rate of changes is, is going through the roof as well. The number of deaths is now all-time high. Hospitalizations is all-time highs, and deaths are a lagging factor. They're coming up fast. Again, we all understand that the virus is less deadly in this phase because of the testing. We all understand that, so we don't need any of that. What people must realize 
is lockdowns are coming and they're coming to the United States too. And I've been warning about this and it was like, nobody's going to lock us down again. Guess what? You are. It's going to yeah. happen. Yes, you have. And let's take a look through the charts here from the US really quickly. First, we're going to take a look at the case count uh, here in the US. And as you can see, this is obviously rising steeply. We're at the uh, top of a third peak, which is the highest of the three. Um, you know, obviously, some potential for unmasking effect there. But when you look uh, at the next chart here, which is the death rate uh, from the virus, uh, you can see that that's rolling straight up as well, um, you know, at a slightly more gradual, a much more gradual, I should say, slope uh, than the, uh, the rate of increase in cases. But still, it's real. And looking at the seven-day average, uh, that is definitely a factor. And finally, Ralph, exactly to your point, and I think perhaps the most powerful chart, uh, we showed exactly this chart on Wednesday. This is a chart of hospitalization. Uh, from the virus. And you can see, again, exactly as you said, Raoul, all-time highs. And to take it away from the political nonsense that goes around this, we've also got the chart of the US regions and their real-time mobility data. And you can see from this, they're all rolling over. People are going to work from home. We've just seen, I think, I haven't seen it fully confirmed, but it sounds like New Mexico's gone to shelter in place again. Yep. It looks like Oregon has gone to tight restrictions, not fully shelter in place yet. New York has imposed new restrictions. We are going to go through this because we've got Thanksgiving in the US to come as well. And from all examples we've seen, we know that people are going to ignore the virus and they're going to spread it around over Thanksgiving as people travel across the country and go and see their, their friends and family. So we have a much bigger mess to come still out of the United States, um, yeah. and that's really concerning. However, Christine Lagarde at the ECB, they can see what's coming, um, and they are saying this is a big problem. The Europeans have got, she has been flagging as I have, the insolvency issues, the rising bankruptcies, and again, the central bank can support the credit markets, but they can't support these small and medium-sized enterprises, and that's where the destruction lies. There is no fiscal stimulus right now, which is something I've been warning about, and it will not be quick to clear in Europe in a meaningful size, and it's not coming in the US. Come to the US in a sec. So bankruptcies are rising in Europe. The virus is going to lock down more countries. Christmas is a write-off. That's the situation we're in in Europe. Uh, and the ECB are going to be uh, printing more money any day now. So that's coming. Probably December they'll start. So that's coming. They flagged it. It's clear. They will do anything they can in the interim. Over in the US, Jay Powell made it very clear. And various other Fed governors, they're like, the biggest risk here is the virus and the economic impacts. That is playing out in front of our eyes. The market doesn't quite understand this yet. But I think much like we saw it um, in February, March, it will not be as severe as that. So I'm not expecting the same thing, but I'm expecting this ongoing insolvency. The Fed will probably step in because the Biden administration cannot do anything probably until February. And because of the split Senate, it depends where Georgia goes in January, but because of the split Senate, they're going to have a fight on their hands to get anything meaningful passed. So we've got, and I've been, again, this is, I've been flagging this for couple of months at least now, we're now in the heart of darkness. Yeah. You know, Jay Powell uh, yesterday, I believe, saying, we're not going back to the same economy. That's a hell of a quote. 
Well, I just saw a video on the BBC about the high street in like North England. I mean, there was no shops left, no restaurants. I mean, it's gone. Yeah. And it's not coming back for a long time because whoever owns the properties are going to have to go bankrupt as well. And eventually young people will have opportunities to build businesses and do new stuff by using that real estate. But it's gone. So we have a really, really big problem. Fiscal stimulus can just keep it going. Again, I've said for a long time, this recession is not the three-month recession everyone thought it was. It's an 18-month proper recession lingering for multiple years unless something really major happens in due course. So the other thing that's interesting is, okay, so what does this mean for markets? Because that's what we're all here for. The bond market is the thing that interests me. And again, I've been flagging this for a while now. And these things take a time to play out. The US 30-year bond yields have been rising because the Fed have been issuing new bonds. And there was this story about reflation. Clearly, the reflation story is dead. There's no printing. There's no blue wave stimulus of three, four, five trillion coming yet. So... There's a record for standard deviation, speculative short position in US 30-year bonds. Those are people betting on different variations of inflation is coming and growth is coming back. That trade is going to get taken out and shot, I think. And I've seen this twice before in recent years. One was the four standard deviation record long in the oil market in 2015. Uh, That ended up with oil falling 70%. Um, And the other time was last year with the euro dollar interest rate futures market in the US where there was the record speculation of rate cuts with the largest ever short position in the history of the euro dollar market. We know what happened next was euro dollars went on an epic rally. So I think the bond market is the place for the epic rally. I think the equity market, who the hell knows, it's driven by behavior, 401k flows, passive flows, all sorts of stuff. Right. So the bond market that I think is is the trade for the slowdown. And tell us, what is that trade? What's your time horizon? And how are you thinking about it on the fixed income side? Well, it depends how sophisticated you are. But the least sophisticated, buy TLT. If you're a bit more sophisticated and you want to get some leverage, buy some calls on TLT. And, you know, I've talked about this at length in uh, – in uh, Real Vision Pro. So there's, you could buy calls on TLT. If you're really sophisticated, I would be, I'd be tempted to actually either buy futures on 30 years, some calls on 30 years, and also some bets that the Fed are going to go to negative rates end of next year. Uh, and that's uh, in the euro dollar market, which is, again, to, to explain to people, I'm not talking about euro dollar, the currency, I'm talking about euro dollar interest rates, which is the global U.S. dollar interest rate futures market. It's the biggest market in the world. Yeah, it's a way to play the spread between LIBOR and the actual expected rate of interest. Um, For those who don't know, TLT, of course, is iShares, uh, 20-plus year bond ETF uh, coming out of BlackRock. Yeah, exactly right. Um, And so... That's how I see it right now. I think there is a risk, and I'm not going to bet on it. There is a risk that the equity market takes a clobbering over this period. Um, and because I think there's, they're going to have to reprice growth and push it out by a year. That's my best guess. Most reflationists are still saying, well, growth 
is coming in Q2, Q3. I think they need to push it out to Q4 or 2022 is what actually where I think we get some sort of reflation, but a relatively subdued reflation. So I think it's a lot bigger. And that brings me into the vaccine because the vaccine was the big news when we started yeah. a, a week ago. So interesting enough, when you delve into the actual studies on the vaccine, it's not as conclusive as the 90% number sounded. I didn't like the fact that the CEO of Pfizer sold 64% of his entire shares um, into the stock rally. That's not a good sign. Um, also, the fact that you have to transport it at like minus a trillion degrees in special containers, that's not suitable for getting a billion doses out or whatever the number is. So I don't think there is a silver bullet. The werewolf has not been killed and mm. you're going to have to find another way of doing it. And there's a number of other vaccines, but the reality is there's no vaccine going to save this economy over this winter. Well, what, Bacon cake. what did you make of that selling the stock story? That's one that's gotten uh, a lot of pickup, a lot of buzz, a lot of conspiracy theories. I know that you are forever long real vision. Uh, and it is an interesting view to see someone who in this vaccine news breaks uh, would sell it. Is there significance in that? Look, if he just sold 5% of his stock or 10% of his stock on a price spike because he wanted some cash because he wants to buy a new house, good luck on him. That's why, you're yeah. the, that's why you've been given the shares. You sell most of your shares into a news announcement that you made on a Sunday night, that sniffs. It's much like the other one that happened as well. I mean, this is two of these vaccine ones where the CEOs have sold a bunch of stock and this is not, it's just, it, it's just not good. Yeah. It lacks integrity. Yeah. And the optics are terrible. Yeah. And, you know, Pfizer stock didn't do so well since. So, you know, the market's sniffing out that this was not real either. So look, there's nothing going to save this by March and the restrictive measures will slow it all down again. And then we've got to hope we can get a vaccine out over the summer, roll it out over the next six months. I mean, it's the whole of next year is taken up by slow growth and trying to sort out this mess, trying to fight for fiscal stimulus, both in Europe and and the US. Yeah. Um, you know, the central banks are still nothing changes. It's a it's a messy, messy situation. So let's wake how it plays out. What's interesting, however, is Asia. Because Asia, very different society, generally did an incredible job controlling the virus. Application of technology, um, application of, of uh, huge amounts of testing, um, the prevalence of mask wearing, and before you know it, Asia got rid of most of the virus and has done well. And so it's starting to get rewarded by the market as well. Asian currencies have been pretty decent. Asian stock markets, stuff like the Nikkei, the Nikkei looks like it's breaking out, really breaking out, breaking out. So, you know, I, I think that Asia will have will have emerged victorious from this. Even the you know, Chinese stock market's done particularly well on the back of this because they controlled it faster than expected. And, you know, whatever, insert your conspiracy theory here, it's irrelevant. I mean, they've still done a better job than the US or Europe did. Europe did a great job to start with and then made a fundamental mistake. And, yeah. you know, again, it's not politics. It's all about economics. Yeah, you know, Rod, talking about Europe, let's take one more look at that chart that we showed on Wednesday from the FT. Uh, this is really a hell of a chart. You see the bulge on the left 
uh, which shows the massive growth in Europe at the beginning uh, of the COVID crisis. And then another huge bulge on the right, uh, which shows Europe being one of the worst affected regions in the world. Yeah, exactly. And that was the mistake of the summer in Europe. You know, everybody was like, had enough of being locked down. So they say, well, you're free to travel. So everyone goes to the beach in Spain and gives each other the virus. Genius. Yeah. Uh, and Schengen yeah. area, of course, enhancing that because you no longer have borders. No, that's right. So there's another thing that's going on. We saw the story of Bill Ackman uh, shorting credit, saying this is a fantastic trade. I don't particularly like the trade because the Federal Reserve are, and the ECB are basically backstopping the credit markets. So it's distorting the price signal. But what it's creating is something really interesting. It's called a jump to default risk, where companies, you can't see it price in the credit market, then they suddenly can't pay their bills and go bust. So you're seeing, and we've got a chart here um, from 13D, which shows that the, the companies that are going bust, basically going bust 10 cents on the dollar, which is extremely rare, which says they're a total wipeout and everything is worth nothing. So what's happening is they're going from everything looks all right, everything looks all right, whistling past the graveyard to complete bankruptcy. Um, and that's a real problem. And so, the, but the real credit issue, again, as I've talked about, is at the small and medium-sized enterprise business. And they don't trade junk bonds and the banks aren't lending to them. Right. Uh, you know, People talk about this. Look at the M2 around the world. This is going to be the most inflationary thing ever. And then you go, yeah, but look at velocity of money. I did an analysis yeah. for GMI of velocity of money. So the US is about 1.2, really low, the lowest in recorded history. But Japan, Europe, the UK, China, they're all below one. Basically, the monetary um, mechanism has broken now. So this is why the central banks are talking about fiscal stimulus, massive printing. Yeah. And that brings me on to Bitcoin. Yes. <laughs> because if anything... I wind up here, Raul. It's I can't believe it. I know. It's surprising because I don't talk a lot about Bitcoin. It's, it's not something that's really on my radar screen much. Not at all. Look, this is why Bitcoin's now up 126% this year. I keep talking about it. It's eating every other asset alive. It's eating its lunch and spitting it out because it is such an attractive, hard asset for an environment like this. So it's up 126%. Gold's up 26%. The NASDAQ up 35%. And there's nothing else close. I mean, I'm looking through the list of everything, every market in the world. I mean, there's nowhere close. Gold miners up 30%. It, and... Bitcoin is just accelerating now. You know, it looks to me like it's going to get through 20,000 by year end uh, before it has some sort of correction. But this is an unstoppable force. If you take what I've just told you about next year, slower growth, more central bank action because there's not enough sti fiscal stimulus, then let's say the economy is bad, then the fiscal stimulus that comes is going to have to be gigantic because they have to catch up for all the fiscal stimulus they haven't done. So we've got enormous printing of money, enormous stimulus, and that is the best environment in the world for Bitcoin. Gold will do fine too. Now, everybody will say to me, yeah, but if the stock market falls, will they fall? Well, Bitcoin's decoupled from all of that. 
Gold hasn't really. It has a bit. I think it will decouple. But Bitcoin's decoupled from all of this stuff. Like it's correlated to the NASDAQ. It's correlated to the dollar. Bitcoin's now just a rocket ship to the moon because it is the life raft to save you from this mess that we've got going on. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, over 16,000 here uh, today as we're having this conversation, 16265. Um, you know, important point for people who are, are not following macro as closely as you do. This velocity of money one is a critical uh, number to look at. This is the rate at which money turns over in the economy. So what we've seen uh, is a rise in the M2. This is the, uh, one of the measurements of the size of the money supply, but no commensurate rise in the velocity of money. That's right. So basically what it means is the central bank's printing money and it's not going anywhere. And what is happening well, corporations are issuing bonds and hoarding it. They'll be spending. So companies are getting cash piles in. Households are now going, moving to saving from spending because they're going to see this and everybody's going to save more money than they did in the first lockdown because they're now more fearful and human behavior changes and the banks aren't lending money. Yeah. So it's like a sucking sound for cash. And everyone's like, I'm keeping my cash and you're not having it. It's also driven by demographics. So I've followed the chart of M2 and the labor force participation rate in the US. And I have a forward looking indicator that projects it forward several, uh, about a decade forward. And it perfectly pre predicts uh, velocity of money because mm. people don't spend money. And so they have savings. So it's baked in the cake that none of this monetary stimulus is going to work again. It's gone. It's finished. It's all yeah. going to be fiscal. And this LFPR number, the labor force participation rate, is the number of people who are participating in the labor market, which means they're either employed or looking for a job. It's in some ways a better metric of the aggregate employment uh, picture yeah. than just. And it's going down and down and down. And that's driven by demographics. Yeah. It's one of the ugliest charts in macroeconomics, in fact. Yes. Most people don't understand it. It's driven by demographics. It is driving the inflation rate lower as the population ages. It's driving the velocity of money lower. It actually almost perfectly correlates with the Fed balance sheet. They're trying to offset it. This is the, this is the problem, the demographics. I, I wrote yeah. a huge global macro investor around wage deflation and demographics um, uh, this month. And a lot of this is in that, is really to show that this is all baked in the cake. None of this is a surprise. Like yeah. bond yields going lower, it's not a surprise. It's all driven by demographics, and it all came from World War II. Yeah. And if you take a look at that chart that we're talking about, it's called CivPart at the St. Louis Fed Fred database. You'll see, uh, you know, a steep drop, obviously, uh, from the uh, from the COVID crisis. It will bounce back up again, but don't be fooled. It's bouncing up to a much lower level, even than the trend rate of deceleration of the rate. So what is it telling you is less people are earning an income. That's all it tells you. Yeah. So if less people are earning an income, then consumption in the economy goes lower. If consumption goes lower, inflation goes lower. I mean, it's obvious, really. It's retirees. And it's also 
the structural issues with the US economy as people get laid off by technology, uh, you know, um, get laid off by globalization and all the issues that have created populism and everything else that's going on, it's all driven by demographics. So you've got these structural headwinds. And then in addition to that, you've got cyclical headwinds. Uh, we were talking a bit earlier, Rao, about the statement from uh, from John Williams from the New York Fed talking about the virus, uh, exactly as we've been discussing, weighing on economic growth. Exactly. So you've got the perfect storm. And this is I've been talking about this for a long time. This is why I did the, the video that's been viewed now two million times um, about the pension crisis that's on YouTube. That was all about what happens in the next recession when all of these structural indicators of demographics are going off and you have a recession itself, what does that do to pensions? Now, we've been super lucky so far. A, the Fed understood very quickly that needs to not let the credit market implode because so many pensions were in credit and that would have been an unprecedented disaster. And the stock market, lucky for them, has gone up. If that stock market doesn't go up and if that goes down next year against everybody's forecast, and I think that's a possibility, maybe even a higher possibility um, than it advancing further, well, then you're going to wipe out all the pensions. Yeah. Because interest rates are at zero and they're probably going to go negative. So you have no interest rates for pensions. The credit market, they're supporting, but you've got this jump to default risk, which creates a problem. If the stock market goes down, then we've got a big, big problem. So it's a scary situation, and, and you can't underestimate this because this is 76 million baby boomers in the United States and about 200 million globally that are relying on the stock market not to go down and bond yields to stop falling and credit markets not to fall apart yeah. because that's their life savings. And that's what's at risk here. And again, this is why I like stuff like Bitcoin and gold because it gives you some protection against some of these bigger issues. Right. You know, and talking of these bigger issues, uh, pensions, retirement, uh, life savings. One of the things that you mentioned earlier in the context of the jump to default risk uh, is what's happening in the municipal bond market. When Muniland is not boring, things get scary. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I don't really understand municipal bonds. But what I do understand is these municipalities are bankrupt. <laughs> now, somebody's going to have to bail them out. Because it's the pension system liabilities that's the problem here as well. And I don't know that full mechanism, but I do understand that because of the austerity measures imposed, imposed on these municipalities, they have to lay off workers. I mean, it's a mess. And again, people look at the stock market and say, everything's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. And you should plan for it not to be okay and hope that it is okay. Plan for the worst. Hope for the best is the best strategy in this. Yeah, I think really, if I can get across, just keep some cash aside. You know, don't make any, don't do the same kind of spending that we all did, me included, um, over lockdown. You know, I spent tons of money doing my house up on stuff I needed to get done. And I thought, well, fine. Just this time, this is going to drag on for a bit. And these insolvencies, you know, your local restaurant, to your local taxi driver, to your local store, to the ne next thing is the, the, the property development company, and the next thing is the landlord, and the next thing. That insolvencies eat themselves. They eat each other. It spreads like a virus. Yeah. So just everybody, just be a little cautious. Just take a year to chill. Don't take risk 
with your retirement. Don't take risk with your livelihood. Just chill for a bit, save some money, let this whole thing pass, and it too shall pass. Sage advice, Raoul. Let me just say something uh, that's a little bit scarier for people. I spent a little bit of time. Oh, I I've got all of my savings in Bitcoin, so I'm kind of doing the opposite. But, <laughs> but yes, um, you know, I spent a little bit of time working in Muniland, uh, and one of the things that people don't realize about municipal bonds is that they're not just general obligation bonds. General obligation bonds are backed by the unlimited taxing authority, typically of a municipality or a state. There are a lot of what they call project-based municipal bonds. These are 501c3s. They could be water companies. They're things that are associated with usage fees. And what people don't realize is that a decline in aggregate economic activity can impair those obligors in their ability to repay based on the usage fee because economic activity is contracting. This is my point. An insolvency that I'm talking about like this is a broad-based reduction in cash flow. And that hits municipalities like it does everybody else. Right. Look at electricity consumption numbers and stuff like that, all related to the economy. So if you do that, things change. Because don't forget, if you shut down factories, guess what? Water consumption goes down. Yeah. People don't think that because they think, oh, water's a faucet. No, actually, the big use of water is agricultural stuff and, um, and factories and industrial processes. So if they shut down because there's a lockdown, well, the cash flow gets impaired. So it's impaired cash flows is the big issue. It's like everybody here, there's going to be people watching this who can't pay their rent. Right? So that cash flow means your fixed costs are here, your income's here. You're going to have to either leave the situation you're in or tell, tell your landlord you're not going to pay. So you tell your landlord you're not going to pay. Most governments are kind of accepting that right now. So then what does your landlord do? He's like, shit, I've got to pay my mortgage. So he goes to the bank and says, well, my rent is not paying me. The bank goes, sorry, chump, your problem. Then what happens? Well, it's okay if it lasts three months. But it lasts a year. He's out of business too. So, you know, it's, it's real. It's meaningful. The insolvency yeah. is real. Yeah, and we, we're also in a, in a position right now where uh, some of those programs are set to expire, and we haven't yet been able to renew the, uh, the, the legislation from the CARES Act. Yep. And again, I've been warning about all of this stuff, and whatever gets replaced is probably going to come at a lower rate than what preceded it. It's not until we get a full crisis again, like the dark days of economic winter again, when everybody will come together and create a solution. And that's going to cost a ton of money, and Bitcoin will be a ton higher. Yeah. Well, just so we have some balance here, let's talk a little bit about the counter case. Obviously, U.S. equities are performing relatively well. Um, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that stocks can continue to go up uh, in an environment where there is. Yes. I mean, and, and look, I'm the first to say I don't really understand the stock market here. Could it go 20 percent higher because of monetary printing or because of technological business models, the SaaS business model, high margin, no debt companies? Sure. What are they valued at? Nobody knows. You know, what's the Austrian 100-year bond worth? Nobody knows. So it's the same thing, right? Yeah. You'll pay anything for secure cash flow. So those things are real, and they're all part of the equation, and I don't really understand them. But also, you know, as I've talked about, the banks don't look particularly good, and, you know, things like IBM or whether it's, um, you know, I think we've got Jim Chanos coming on speaking about IBM um, next week. Um they don't look good, yeah. you know. So it's a really bifurcated world out there, and you know, I could be right 
and the stock market can go up, i.e. insolvency is terrible, the economy goes up, I can be right and the stock market falls 50%. Right. I just don't know. That's just not my bet. I quite like a bit of money in bonds because I'm more likely to make money than not. Um, and I like to have these kind of bets that if they do excessively print money, then I'm going to get paid for the debasement of currency. You know, one of the trades that we heard about constantly all week was the rotation from growth into value in U.S. equities. You know, today I, I heard about an hour before the close, uh, energy was up 4% on the day uh, as a sector and 17% on the week. I hear this discussion about rotation into sectors, and I'm just baffled. I, I can't imagine how anyone could have any conviction around this trade. Look, and I understand that there are traders who are very sophisticated, uh, who are able to move in and out of these positions, uh, and who are able to uh, who are able to make money. But who can have a high degree of conviction around something as abstruse as that when we're balancing on a knife edge here with this virus and other factors? I remember, I've talked about this before, the 2000, 2001 top in the equity market. We saw this violent rotation out of growth into value as the Nasdaq topped and the Dow Jones kind of had one last spurt. Mm. And that top was a violent multi, multi-month up and down volati high volatility market where yeah. the bulls were fighting the bears and you could see it on the screen every day. Yeah. And it feels like that now. It feels a lot like that environment. I remember those days back in '99, where you would see the, the you'd see the flow uh, from the Dow into the Nasdaq, and then the rotation back the following day. That's right, and you'd have these like the vaccine news. I was talking to uh, uh, I can't remember where it was. I was talking to somebody about. I mean, I remember this. There was some news flow, and I was stupidly, and I didn't even know what I was doing, running a hedge fund. The first big position I took was shorting the semiconductors and long the Nasdaq. Still to this day, I don't really know anything about that trade. Why I did it is some broker called me up and told me it was the best trade. And this guy was like the broker, you know, so I, I thought, oh, I need to impress him. I, mean, I was an idiot and I did, the trade was too big. And, but the point being is the next day, that spread, which usually would move like 1% a day, 2% a day, moved 15%. And I, against me, obviously. <laughs> so I lost a shit ton of money. I had to go to my boss and say, I've lost a load of money. He said, why? I said, because I did a trade that I didn't really know. But the point, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and I just did it because somebody talked me into it. Classic rule of do your own homework. Right. But point being is that the virus move was just like that. The vaccine move is like these violent, violent moves to me suggest a struggle between narratives. And often there's a change in the markets when you see this struggle of narrative. So I've got two charts that uh, I want to show. One is the chart that I've talked about for a while, which is the megaphone top in the S&P. It's a mm -hmm. rare pattern. It's usually a reversal pattern. Not always. Just increases the probabilities in your favor. That megaphone top, we keep going up to the top of the channel, then reversing back down. And I kind of get the feeling that we're going to see the downside of this thing, and then we'll figure out whether this chart's going to hold. If it does, it's a much bigger reversal than we've already seen. So that's something to bear in mind. I mean, it would suggest something really quite ugly. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. The other thing that gives me conviction is the second chart. And this is the same chart pattern, but this is the divergence of the relative strength index, the RSI. 
And the RSI is a technical ind indicator, gives you overbought, oversold indicators. When it's above kind of 70, it's overbought. When it's below kind of 30, it's oversold. But the point being, when it does the opposite to what the price chart is doing, you can see it there, price has been going up, RSI has been going down. It usually means at some point, it's not a great timing tool, but at some point, the structure of the market's about to change. And usually it means price is about to follow the relative strength index. And that's that divergence also suggests that there may be a bigger change in the market ahead. And that would add, so how I like to build things is there's a technical case. We've also got the economic case, which is the no stimulus period virus problem, a longer, um, a slower economy for 2021 than people expect. So you have to take growth out of the market. So that there's a possibility for that. And yeah. we've talked about the secular backdrop where we've got a bunch of baby boomers, long equities that they shouldn't be, that maybe they need to rotate out of more of those over time and that we have more structural problems from the deflation stuff that's coming. So that I think is interesting to me. It starts to look like a trade is coming. It's not the trade I really wanna do, for those of people who are very long, just again, you can see my thought process, do with it what you want. Yeah, and that's really what we're doing. We're just trying to unpack this stuff, understand what the balance of risk looks like and understand what the potential sort of cone of uncertainty looks like as we take into account all of these different factors. Yeah, absolutely right. So, you know, again, wait and see, be, be a little bit cautious. Ral, as we wrap up what I think is the longest Real Vision Daily briefing in history, Next week, next Wednesday, obviously important day for Real Vision for the Real Vision crypto tier. Yes, the we flagged this before. Tell all of your friends, tell everybody you know, but we're launching Real Vision crypto free to everybody because we think it's such an important space. It is the future of finance. If you understand many of the things I've talked about today, we're talking about big structural issues within the financial system. And... There are a load of smart engineers. There's a load of interesting finance people all coming together to try and solve the problems of the world, particularly the world of finance and the internet of money for the modern age. And we want to follow that story. We want to educate people, help them with that story. So, um, so Real Vision is launching Real Vision Crypto. So look out for it, sign up for it. Uh, it's free, just an email, and you'll get access to it. Anybody who's a Real Vision subscriber, um, you get it anyway. You guys have been getting it. So it's all part of your free content package anyway um, and enjoy it. Uh, also, um, the other thing I want to announce as well is that um, I know many of you have been using the exchange. We've got we've just hired uh, Western Nakamura, who's a Real Vision fanatic based out of Tokyo, another ex Goldman Sachs guy. Um, Western is helping uh, manage the he's the community manager of the exchange. And he's there to help people. He's there to build conversations, get things going. We yeah. know we've still got some, some user experience stuff to get done. It's coming in the next technological update. But Weston's there to help get involved, start posting ideas. We've got unbelievable experts on there. You know, we had two guys on the exchange this week. Um, Jeremiah interviewing uh, John Fadul, who is a geopolitical expert. He does it for a living, and there's a spontaneous 45-minute interview about the election, 
and how it plays out and geopolitics. I mean, the stuff on there is great. Yeah. Weston is awesome. He was such a real vision fanatic. We just had to pull him in. Well, it's ridiculous because we keep having these meetings where Weston's in. I'm like, Weston, it's four o'clock in the afternoon here. What time is it in Tokyo? It's like 5 a.m. I said, you haven't just got up, have you? He said, no, no, I just don't go to bed. I mean, yeah. he doesn't sleep. That's how dedicated he is to making the community to build it into the hive mind, the community where all of finance comes together. Yeah. By the way, talking of Real Vision Crypto next Wednesday, I'm not sure if we can say it, um, but let's say it anyway. Vitalik Buterin. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be super interesting. You know, Ethereum is becoming a very hot topic right now. Uh, as you know from my tweet where I talk about, I ask a, a benign question about Ethereum and 5,000 people uh, liked it. Literally, and, yeah. And then there was a complete turf war between Bitcoin maximalists and Ethereum people all on my tweet thread. I mean, it's unbelievable. But Ethereum is a really, really exciting thing as well. Um, and Vitalik is the founder of it all. He was the visionary. And we've got him on in a long-form interview. Um, yeah. And it's going to be really fascinating because if you want to understand, a lot of the Bitcoin world is all about the monetary system. The Ethereum world is all about the monetary plumbing. It's really interesting. They're, they're different complementary things, but that's how to think of it. And, um, and he's the visionary who foresaw a lot of this, the use of smart contracts and a bunch of other stuff. So fascinating. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. And this interview is really the, the big picture. What is really the vision of someone who created uh, the smart contract world, who created the transactional world in digital currency, uh, as much as anyone talking and thinking about the big picture. It's a great interview. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, we've got wall-to-wall -wall amazing interviews coming. So both on Real Vision itself and on the crypto. I mean, I think we've got a month probably of the best programming in all history. So it's an exciting time. So if you're not a subscriber yet, I don't know what the hell you're doing, but you should be signing up to Real Vision because there is a monster amount of content coming. Yeah, and of course, Real Vision Crypto free for the first 12 months. Yeah, and it only costs you a dollar to get a trial. So if you're watching this and you're guiltily watching it on YouTube or somewhere else, why don't you go and have a check it out for, for a dollar on Real Vision? <laughs> Rao, wrapping up the RVDB hour. <laughs> Begging for money. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Rao, thank you again for joining us. Not at all. Great. And have a great weekend, everybody. And I hope the sun shines for you too. Yeah. And stay safe, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.